I'm Brody Vincent and you're watching Profession Session. Today I have a return guest on, Zach Hovelman, the owner of an insurance agency that over the last couple of years has made a total of nine acquisitions of other businesses. January 2022, uh, we made our first acquisition uh, and on the 26th of this month, we'll be closing on our ninth one. And in this episode, he gives an absolute masterclass on why he took this strategy, how he did it, and why it's worked so well. Instead of going to a bank and that bank carrying the note and you pay them interest and all of that, it's just the seller doing that because they're the most familiar with this business more than anybody. It's immensely better for the seller uh, in the long run and immensely better for you as the buyer in the long run. Tune in to hear about some of the dark days that he overcame in finding this winning strategy and to learn a ton about mergers and acquisitions and about finding balance as an entrepreneur with a family and kids. This is uh, it's a little bit personal, but it's it's the real part of it is my wife and I just kind of had a hard time. We were making a crap ton of money, but we were just unhappy as a couple. My wife was just like, you work all the time and I would rather have less money and more time with you. Well, I'm not losing this woman. She's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So we're gonna make some changes. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Profession Session. I'm Brody Vincent, and I'm on a mission not only to define professional greatness through the tactics and qualities behind it, but also to help anyone that's trying to achieve professional greatness do it through the lens of others that have achieved it before them. I couldn't be more thankful for everyone that helps me continue along this mission through being able to do this podcast. And if you've ever gotten any value out of it, I ask only two things in return. If you could share it in the same way that you found it with someone else that you think could get value it helps me so much and if you could also just hit the subscribe button if you haven't yet it helps me so much in just securing better and better guests for the show to share more impactful knowledge with you in this pursuit that we're both on for professional greatness so without further ado let's get on to this week's episode my name is zach holvelman i'm the owner of the holvelman agency here in, uh, actually in winter park uh, we uh we're basically a property and casualty insurance agency um initially started out in 2020 uh actually march 2nd of 2020 right before uh you know basically entire country Crazy shut timing. down <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um and started an insurance agency uh from scratch so you know march 2020 we literally had zero dollars coming in and started basically working our way up january 2022 uh, we made our first acquisition uh and on the 26th of this month we'll be closing on our ninth one uh, so we've acquired nine agencies uh, grown about 10x from the from January 2022 essentially um, all through the acquisition model which is especially crazy because you started at the beginning of 2022 we talked about halfway through 22 and you were between like your second and third acquisition you've mm -hmm. now done triple that mm -hmm. in the year kind of proceeding after that mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about that just how how that process has evolved what led you to start the agency in the first place and, and what was the big vision behind that? Yeah. So my background on the, before I opened up the agency, I was a claims adjuster for homeowners insurance and we just saw a lot of just, uh, unfortunate situations that could have been prevented had we been selling the policy on the front end. Um, just people not having the right coverages and just un, just didn't know really how anything operates or how, how that system actually works. And so being able to provide expectations, uh, and setting people up basically on the front end versus after the fact. Uh, so that's one of the big things. Uh, the other thing is, is just not wanting to start over in, uh, constantly and just sweating every day for, for, you know, hours and hours on end trying to actually, you know, make some money um, to provide for our family and you know, just kind of create some of that, you know, um, generational wealth, as most people call it. Um, just ultimately just not starting over at the beginning of each year or month or whatever that situation is. And so decided to open up the agency because uh, that just has that annuitous sort of income through the renewal uh, renewals and whatnot. Um, but then also just knowing that I could leverage uh, the acquisition side of that uh, when the time came and we're full-fledged in it now. So. Now, I'm excited to get into just the evolution of where you've gone from the beginning to the end there. There's some hurdles I kind of want to go through along the way that I know just having known you for about a year now and, and from what we talked about before, I think a lot of this is pretty relevant. 
what have been some of the big milestones throughout the now, I guess about three and a half years, mm-hmm. um, there, what have been some of the biggest milestones, both, um, wins wise and losses wise, what have been some of the biggest wins and losses? Yeah. So, uh, I can tell you right now, the biggest win, uh, is, uh, my, my family being able to, like my wife is now, a, uh, I don't like to call a stay at home mom cause she's gets to go do stuff with our boys all the time. We actually had, I think since last time we spoke, we had another kid. So. Oh, congrats. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So he's uh, he's uh, seven months old now. Uh, and then our oldest will be two next month. So, uh, big, you know, that's a lot of fun. My wife was able to quit her job and just be a full-time mom. And so that's a huge win for us. Uh, the second one is, uh, my, my office manager, Chris has been our right-hand man. He's just, uh, he is absolute, the absolute machine that, you know, I, I, I jokingly say I bring all the chaos in and he's the funnel that just organizes <laughs> all of it and keeps our business above water. Um, so he's, a, he's always just having him on board and, uh, him starting to really step up and, and, and see the value of us expanding into other states and that sort of thing. So that's a big one. Um, you know, there's definitely some frustrations and difficulties. Uh, the biggest one for me, which I talk about constantly is like family life and building this business and like, cause I love what I do. So it's, it's, and I love being with my family. So like I'm constantly pulled between the two. And so, um, I, I really do, I'm working my tail off to create the life I want to live. Uh, and so I also want to live that life now as well as later. Um, and so that's a, a, a very difficult thing to kind of balance out. But, uh, ultimately I think it's, it's the pool that kind of keeps it in balance, the pool to both. Cause you, that, that, that's where the interest is, is both of those two things. And so, uh, just getting to have two really good things in my life that, uh, that pull me in, in good quality directions. It's just making sure I'm, I'm, uh, putting the time and effort and energy into both of those properly. Uh, Let's get into that a little bit. Cause this was something we talked about on the last, the last podcast that mm-hmm. I think was really helpful to people just hearing about some of the struggles that you had with the work-life balance and mm-hmm. finding that it's often really hard to figure out what work-life balance for you even is specifically for someone personally, I think, mm-hmm. and it looks different for everyone. I want to talk about kind of the highs and lows of that specifically mm-hmm. and how that journey has evolved for you over, the, over time because it's just talking to you now today versus when I talked to you before, it sounds like you've made even more progress on that front, which is awesome and encouraging to hear. Yeah. So the, uh, the kind of the joke about, uh, my, like with me now is like, you can't get a hold of me after about six o'clock because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just like, uh, I'm with my wife and kids and like even my business partner when he, he'll, he'll call me cause he's in, uh, uh, at, on the West coast. And so he's like, Hey, I know I'm stepping into family time a little bit. So I'll be brief. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so that's a great thing. Uh, and it's kind of a joke with just even within our, our, our corporate company on the side of it. Uh, they're just like, don't even bother calling him cause he's not going to answer and you know, get him during you know, working hours. Um, but that's what's great is like my wife and kids like get a hundred percent of my attention at that point in time. And, uh, our, our family life is great. We, we get to just like, really enjoy each other's time. I don't feel pressured to be anywhere because I've just set that tone so heavily uh, for the last basically year and a half, two years now. And I can go uh, all weekend without having to answer a work call and uh, or respond to an email or anything like that. Uh, and then our clients, are, you know, I get emails or texts. I'll still see them come in from time to time and they're just like, this can wait till Monday. Don't worry about it or whatever the situation is. Uh, and even our referral sources that send us business and stuff, uh, well, I mean, I've, I was on the phone with somebody uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, and I just, I, I was, it was, I think it was like literally like 5:40 uh, on my drive home, and they're like, I know you're going to be home in a few minutes, so I'll wrap this up quick, and so I don't have to keep uh, keep you on the, away from your kids and stuff. So like, it's a big thing that it's hard to kind of really uh, establish that in the beginning, especially when you're starting out and struggling and trying to just like ev- create every opportunity. But it, once you create the machine, like it's hard to undo it unless you've built it the way it needs to be operated so that you can sustain it for long term. I think this is going to tie in really well to some of the subject matter we want to cover. I want to talk about the flip that kind of had to occur there because it obviously you, as you've kind of alluded to there, it wasn't always that way. What was like the big kind of low point that led to you realizing, Hey, I've got to, I've got to make this change and figure out like this line in the sand, this expectation setting, what led to you kind of creating all of that for yourself? Oh man. Uh, this is uh, it's a little bit personal, but it's, it's the real part of it is my wife, uh, and I 
just kind of had a hard time. We were making a crap ton of money doing a, a really good job at it, but we were just unhappy as a couple. And that's like, my wife was just like, I, you work all the time and I would rather have less money and more time with you. And that was to me, I'm like, well, the, I'm not losing this woman. She's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So we're going to make some changes. And she made it very clear. She's like, I would just love to have our time reserved to like basically do whatever you need to between the hours of nine and six. And other than that, like I want that time for us. Uh, so she made it really clear. It's one thing I love about my wife is she, yeah. she, she's very direct on what she wants. And uh, when she knows what she wants, she makes it, she'll, she'll let me know. <laughs> I think that's so, such an important thing in a relationship as just a quick side note is like, just, I mean, this is a thing that we're going to nail into the ground again and again in this pot over the course of this podcast, but the expectations, yeah. that's what she did there. She set expectations and made them clear and that make expectation setting for many front makes things very easy. Yeah. Well, it's like, I know, I know the boundaries of which I can really operate. And, you know, that gives me a really clear timeline. What I didn't realize, uh, in the, then what I do now is that was for me too. Mm -hmm. Like it really, I, I'm not burnt out, which, you know, this, a big thing in this industry, um, I think the the stats like ninety two percent of insurance agents quit within their first three years. Wow, which is crazy. That's a high number. So I'm like, all right, well, I got to do something that I can do for the next thirty plus years. Uh, and so if I the biggest thing is burnout. So like, I got to figure out a way to not get burnout. A real easy way is to take time off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, not work all the time. So. so you found a much better balance here, and I mean, it, it shows in the success that you've had. Mm -hmm. Talk about kind of the night and day after you set that expectation. What did you start seeing in your business? So immediately I lost money. That's, I mean, it's just the reality of mm -hmm. it. When you work less and you produce less, you, you make less. I mean, that's the, but ultimately, again, the things that really matter to me are my, my, my personal life, my, my relation, with my wife got immensely better. And, and because I was just putting time and energy into that, just because I wasn't working, wasn't mean I wasn't putting work in elsewhere. I just put that energy into my, my, our, uh, my marriage. Um, and like I said, we have you know two kids now and our kids are you know growing up like crazy. We're having a great time with them. Um, and so that was, you know, the, the big switch there is like, all right, well, this is absolutely worth, uh, that, uh, that money lost if you will, but it had me get way more efficient on how to grow this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I realized the organic way was the slower way. Um, it was a true way of going about it, but it was much slower. And so we really focused on that the acquisition side. And then I realized, wow, the acquisition side, uh, is it's ultimately significantly, uh, a bigger, I guess, bigger way to grow. Uh, we, we just, you know, instead of trying to sell 300 to 500 policies within a single year, I think we bought like 2,200, uh, within wow. that, within that same time period. Now we fi seller finance some of it and all of that, but ultimately, we created the cash flow and it filled the gap of you know, significantly more than what I could have just sold policies one by one working 20 hours a day. It sounds like common theme here, just of, of the whole kind of step there is you took a couple steps back to take many steps forward. And I think that's something you have to do in business oftentimes. So kind of catching up on the timeline here, was that about that kind of conversation with your wife and that change that you made? Was that kind of in line with around the time that you decided to start making acquisitions? So, or was that shortly after? So we had started the business in 2020 um, and my my claims business was doing really well. The problem with it is it, it was uh, so volatile. So there'd be uh, months we would make 30, 40, $50,000 and there'd be months we'd make six grand. Yeah. Uh, so that was tough. Tough uh, to control costs. Right. That and then um, it it required me to travel uh, and I'd be gone for, you know, two, three months at a time. Like we were. Wow. OK. So, so that was a, or I should say that was a potential of that. Uh, before we got married, I would do those things. But uh, we so right when we were about to get married in 20 at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, uh, we uh, there was a, a hurricane that hit. I can't remember where it was. It was somewhere far. I, I almost want to say it was Hawaii or something like that. Uh, and so the thing is, is like, because that's the industry I work in, there's those short periods of time right after those events happen. There's that's where like the majority of the money can be made. And so I, like 30 days before our wedding, I was considering going to wherever it was. I, I, I want to say it was Hawaii or something like that. And my wife was like, are you seriously about to go to Hawaii? And I'm like, I'll be back for our wedding. But she's like, absolutely not. We can't, can't do this and we've got to make some decisions. And so, um, so I, I just, uh, and that was kind of like the first like 
conversation of like, Hey, I want you to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, after we got married, I started kind of our, our claims business started really blowing up here locally in central Florida. Um, and I was just like, you know, basically making, you know, what's it, making hay while the sun's shining. Um, but ultimately it was just, we were just struggling. Uh, it was really difficult. Uh, first year of marriage was difficult anyways, uh, on it by itself. And then putting all of this extra pressure and trying to, trying to f- fix it with money or whatever the situation was, mm-hmm. it was just not a good way to go about it. Um, and so, uh, we kind of just weathered through that. Uh, and I, and she had that conversation with me. Um, and then when we started the agency is I, I kind of rolled back into that same mindset of like, all right, well, I got I'm in building stage. I can't, I can't afford to not build. And so she eventually was just like, all right, it, this isn't going to happen again. We can't do this because this is like, we, we just can't suffer mm-hmm. uh, anymore. And so that's when it was like, all right, let's set some real strong parameters. Um, and we just did that. We sat down and like, all right, let's let's make a decision here. And that's ultimately what we did. And I'm so grateful that she had the foresight to see that. Uh, and I'm so I'm so glad that I listened to her. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's it's clearly worked out incredibly yeah. well for you. Yeah. So you start making these acquisitions beginning of 2022. Let's mm-hmm. talk about those. Let's talk about the first one specifically because yeah. I'm sure that was the hardest one. Mm-hmm. I would think because it's a completely new thing to you. Mm-hmm. What told you? even in the first place that this is something you could do. How, how did you talk about like the zero to one of that, of going from one agency, one owner, one company to, Hey, I can just start acquiring companies and building on that. Yeah. So ultimately I knew I wanted to have multiple agencies. Um, I didn't know enough to really know what that really looked like. Um, but I, I, I was at some kind of networking event and, uh, one of my one of my referral sources that I I met there um, said, "Hey, you own an insurance agency. One of my friends is looking at selling theirs or getting somebody to come operate it. Uh, I think actually the conversation was, they're looking for somebody to run it. Would you be willing to run it?" And I said, "Well, not necessarily run it, but I'd be willing to buy it." I just kind of said that off the cuff, uh, and then uh, we started actually looking into this deal. And I'm like, "Man, this thing's actually cash flowing like a hundred and something grand a year." Uh, so I just, I got on the phone with them, started talking with them and, uh, they, uh, initially were just like, yeah, we're going to, they gave me a a dollar, a dollar amount they were wanting to sell or sell it for. And then also, uh, they were, we realized they, or I learned they were in somewhat of a compliance issue. So they had about 90 days to get something figured out, uh, or it was the agent was going to be taken back over by their, the corporate office. Um, and so, uh, that was kind of like gave us kind of like, all right, let's make a decision here to figure this out. Uh, and so, uh, I, that was the first deal that the first deal we ever did. It was also the, I think the largest one we ever actually did too. Um, so it's kind of funny how like we just went all in on this first one, <laughs> uh, just put two feet in. But, uh, I reached out to, uh, who's now my, my business partner and was talking with him at the time. He was just a family friend that was just kind of helping me, uh, negotiate the deal. And, uh, we had a lender lined up to kind of, to, basically by the agency um what we were going to do is uh do uh uh like i think 50 uh, percent down and then we were going to sell or finance the rest over a certain period of time like 50 percent cash down. yeah 50 percent okay. cash down which i was just going to get a loan to do that and then i was going to do 50 percent of uh, seller financing the rest before we continue on this i do want to take a second just to familiar to familiarize the audience of those who don't know with seller financing i yeah. think this is going to be a thing that we reference a few more times yeah. Could you give kind of like a, a top view of just like what the average person needs to know about what seller financing is yeah. and how that works? Yeah. So seller financing is essentially that seller carrying the note. Uh, so just like instead of going to a bank and that bank carrying the note and you pay them interest and all of that, it's just the seller doing that because they're the most familiar with this business more than anybody. Uh, and so that's ultimately the way we structure our deals now, because it's just, it's immensely better for the seller uh, in the long run and immensely better for you as the buyer in the long run. So, so yes, yeah, so specifically with this deal, uh, we don't do it this way anymore because we learned that this was a much harder deal. To, we, we kind of made it hard on ourselves again, not knowing how to actually structure this. So, um, so I went and got private money uh, at, uh, at the time, because I didn't have any credit or anything like that. I went and got private money from a private lender at 14% interest. Wow. Um, <laughs> Now we were the returns we were getting on the investment were worth that high mm-hmm. interest, uh, so I knew that going into that, like okay, so this we're going to still net a pretty high in, a high return, so it's okay. The other thing is, is this seller 
uh, or I'm sorry, this lender offered that interest only uh, until I could decide to pay the pay the principal down whenever I wanted to. So that was okay. so it made it made it really helpful for us. However, we haven't done the deal like that <laughs> yeah. since then because because <laughs> it's just a lot and it's expensive and we've just learned how yeah. to do these, these deals better. So we did that initially. Uh, and then seller financed the rest with the seller. Um, uh, uh, or I think it was over, like, we just did like a flat payment of like five grand a month for, for 10 months or something like that for the remaining amount. Uh, and, and so the name of the game in a seller financing situation like this is you agree on a monthly amount that for you is going to work in the money that's coming in. Mm -hmm. Like as far as the money that's coming in, the cash flow is gonna offset that cost. Right, so basically the cash flow uh, of the business covers the note uh, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe a little bit extra on top just to kind of, uh, you know, account for any kind of ups and downs that come along with it. But yeah, so we did that. Um, and then the second deal came along, uh, I think in June uh, of that year. So it was January to June. Uh, and, and that one was really interesting. So the year prior to that in August of 2020, 2021, that seller had actually for the second one had reached out to me um, and had a crazy high price. Uh, and I, I, at the time I, we were about to have our, our first son, Henry, and, uh, just was like, I, I can't focus on this right now. And I wasn't super, like, I didn't really know what anything about it at the time. So I was like, I, I, I can't really do this right now. And so we kind of just left it. Uh, and then may he had reached out to me, uh, and said, Hey, I'm actually trying to sell this thing. And so we started really diving into it at that point. And, uh, this one was a really distressed situation. So the, the short story of it is his, uh, this husband and I'm sorry, this dad and his daughter started this agency. The daughter left, uh, and started her own competing agency. It was a really weird situation. Mm. Uh, so nobody wanted to buy it. Cause it's like, well, your daughter's the one that built this and now she's got her own competing one in the same zip code. Like nobody wants to buy this. So for us, that was, I saw an opportunity of like, all right, if I can buy this for like a one time multiple or less, uh, that's a, you know, it's a hundred percent return on my money. If I lose half the business, that's a 50% return. Yeah. I'll One time that. multiple essentially on the net profit on, of the on business. The, on the cash flow. On yeah. The cash flow, yeah. Cause yeah. we were going to consolidate into our existing agency. So we wouldn't have any overhead costs mm -hmm. uh, other than the note. Uh, and so we started looking into it and it was like, it was cash flow and, uh, uh, I think this one was cash flowing like 40 grand uh, a year. And we started looking into it, uh, and I know nobody else is wanting to buy it because he's, I mean, he's coming to me almost a year later and still trying mm -hmm. to sell it. Uh, so I just, we just walked through the process of like, hey, look, I know nobody else wants to sell this. It's, it's super high risk because of the potential losses that we could withstand on or potentially gain, have on it. So I, I'll basically offer you uh, basically 40 grand. So mm -hmm. one, one multiple, but I want to finance it over, over 12 months. I don't want to pay a lump sum. Uh, if you want a lump sum, I'm going to discount it even more. And so I, obviously he didn't want to do that. Um, so we ended up uh, locking that deal in. So we bought $40,000 of cash flow for 40 grand and got to sell or finance it over 12 months. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's a great deal. Um, and so that was, that's the best deal we've ever gotten. Um, and uh, it, it's actually, uh, it's actually produced a lot more money for us because we were able to cross sell that, that book as we rolled into it and uh, rates increased and those sort of things. So, um, ended up being a great deal for us, but the, we, we basically just seller financed that, the, that cash flow at a really, at a very reasonable rate for the seller and, um, ended up being a really good second acquisition for us. And we're like, this is the way we actually want to do this. Seller financing was low stress. I didn't have to worry about this big fat, uh, interest payment that I've got mm -hmm. to come up with every year or anything like that. It, it really kind of just leveled the playing field. I'm like, man, the book's paying for itself. Now I don't have to worry too much about it. Now if I want to make money off it, I got to start growing it. And so that's how we ended up uh, kind of working in the, the, our third through nine now. <laughs> so it's that model. All seller financing. Yeah. So I want to focus on the seller financing a little bit more. Let's mm -hmm. talk about a few things about it. I want to talk about the, the pros and the cons. I also want to talk about how you introduce this concept to someone who wants to sell their business, but maybe is not familiar with it. How do you get someone used to that idea and how do you kind of what are like the selling points on that? Yeah. So the first thing I, I, my, every, every call I have with somebody is I just, I, I just simply ask them, what are you looking to get out of this? Cause I just want to know where they're at. If they're thinking they want a five, 10 multiple, I'm like, well, market doesn't really support that it supports more of like this, you know, 
one and a half to two multiple. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting them there and what's, you know, uh, the term is just making sure they don't have founder syndrome or if that, if they do have founder syndrome, getting them back away from that. So it doesn't bite them in the butt in the long run. Um, and founder syndrome is simply just putting your blood, sweat and tears as part of the valuation. And unfortunately you just can't purchase those. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I've run across the, we were talking about this off air. I've run across this with people many a times and it's, it's like, there's this very difficult thing in detaching the the emotional attachment that you have with your business from what the market will actually pay. And like you, you value, I mean, if you've put years into a business and it might've taken you three years to even get it off the ground, those three years in your mind should be worth something. But the market says often they're worth almost nothing. And sometimes just the, the very end of your kind of runway is what's worth anything. Yeah. And so I, I think defeating founder syndrome is really like removing yourself from the business for a second and saying, Hey, kind of giving yourself like a mirror check and saying, Hey, would I want to buy this? Right. And if the answer is no, if you're desperately looking to get out of it, it's not ready to sell because no one else is going to want it either. Yeah. And it's hard to just put a dollar amount on something like that. Cause it's like, like where, where's the margin on it for one? Where's the where's the the tax advantages on that? Where I mean, all of those questions of just like subjectively and objectively looking at a deal, it's like, it's it, it's it's impossible. And so it's like, how how can I value impossible? And mm-hmm. it's, you can't. And so that's that's one of the things that if you can if you can articulate it that way as you're uh, just, as we talk about it with them, that's one of the the biggest things I I address immediately because it gets them in the mindset of like, okay, I'm actually if I'm actually going to sell this, I need to get really understand what this actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why we just ask those questions because figuring out how people want to exit uh, is the best way you can put an offer together. So we, and one of my favorite stories is uh, one of the deals we did. Um, I want to say it was uh, our like fifth or sixth one that we closed on. Uh, this uh, this uh, lady, she was selling down in uh, uh, South Florida and She'd reached out to me. Uh, I looked at, I kind of just looked through the, her, her book of business and asked her what she was wanting to get out of it. She told me a number and I was like, I don't think it really supports that. But I said, I don't think you're far from it. So if you really want that number, if that number means something to you, I would suggest holding off and getting to that point. Uh, and so I just, I, this is where I, I like to be really candid with people. And so I just asked, I said, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? Why is that number s- uh, significant to you? Uh, and she's like, well, I think I could get a, a 10% of that down payment would allow us to get IVF and start our family. Wow. And so I was like, wow, okay. Wow. Uh, and so I, my thought was, all right, I don't want to, like, I want to be able to, again, have this win-win situation for me as the, the buyer and her as the seller. So I, instead of trying to just get her to, to sell it to me and convince her to do the deal right then and there. I'd, for an amount that's not going to reach her goal. Right. So I said, how about you take you know, six, eight months, nine months, whatever you need to, to get it to this point, I'll be very interested in purchasing at that point. One, it's going to be cash flow and more. And two, you're going to be working it up to that point. So there's not going to be a lot of issues that we'll have to correct in the long run. Um, and so literally, I think six months later, she reached back out to us and said, Hey, I think we're at that point. Can we revisit the deal? So we started looking through it and sure enough, we like this deal works really well for us. And so we were able to give her a down payment that covered her uh, her procedure to go get IVF That's and amazing. start their family. So, now in that case, did you? Because my guess with her particular situation is if she hadn't really like looked into the process of selling before, a lot of times before you even look into it, you mm-hmm. don't, you have no idea what that actually looks like. You mm-hmm. don't really know what the buyer's looking for. Mm-hmm. Had did you kind of give her like just a candid couple of things about why it wasn't worth that much? Just say kind of like, hey, like because of this, this, and this. I, I can't really justify that valuation. Here's kind of what you would need to do. Yeah. So one of the big things that I do is the, you know, the, the joke, it's kind of funny, but it's also like, it's kind of how it really works is I've, I've bought a ton of these and here's how all the deals kind of you know, like the range of these deals go through. Um, so that's one thing. Cause I have legitimate market, you know, information now because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the, I'm buying them up. Um, the other thing is, is just like industry standard. That's part of it. But then also like, just talking about the potential risks in purchasing a book, the the liability I'm taking on, the you know the the liability that person's taking on for seller financing or anything like that. Um, 
and then the other thing is, is just simply like uh, the more information you give me, the more information I can share with you, the closer we can get to a perfect deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like having those candid conversations with people really allows there a lot of opportunity. Like had I not known that I would have been begging for a hundred percent seller financing, but because she, and she, I, I could have lost the deal because somebody was just willing to give her 10%, which mm-hmm. wasn't a ton of money. It was just, it was significant to her. So that's why it was important to talk about those things. Yeah. So. And that was the difference maker. That's yeah. major. Yeah. So I want to hit on a couple more pillars of like good deal making here. Mm-hmm. Um, what are um, what are some of the challenges that you've seen people face most deeply with overcoming that founder syndrome? Mm-hmm. And how have you seen people make breakthroughs with that? Yeah. So the majority of founder syndrome is emotionally being attached to the revenue. I mean, that's ultimately what it is, or the business in general. Um, and so getting your emotions detached from it, it's not ignoring them. It's just detaching them from your decision-making within a business. Um, so that's one thing, uh, being able to clearly explain where the market is and how that really works, uh, is, is a skill set that, uh, any buyer or seller needs to be able to articulate well, because even if you're a seller, you can, you can convince a buyer why it's worth that. Uh, a seller or in a buyer on like on my side where we're buying agencies most sellers have just no idea they're they've been selling policies and that's really all they know they don't know anything about acquisitions or, or selling or merging or anything like that so we have to educate them a lot so that's a, a big part of it uh, but as far as like the you know roadblocks that they run into it is overvaluing their their self in the, in the business because ultimately they're exiting. So it's like, I can't value you because you're not coming along with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, you know, if you were coming along with it, that would probably potentially be a factor, but ultimately it's not because you're exiting the business overall. Um, I like the seller financing because it allows you to br- kind of essentially bring them on board and allow them like a structured exit plan yeah. more than anything. Yeah. It, it's immensely more valuable uh, to small business owners for two reasons. One, uh, who doesn't want to have built something and then get uh, a consistent paycheck from it for a couple of years? That's a nice feeling to know like, hey, I built this thing. It either didn't work out or I'm just ready to be done or I want to go do something differently. And for the next three, four, five, six years, whatever the situation is, the, whatever the terms are, you're getting a consistent paycheck and a consistent reminder of something valuable you built. That's a great feeling. Uh, to get that consistent money in uh, that's backed by an asset that you created and sold. Like that's a, that's a win uh, emotionally for people. So that's a huge part of like satisfying the founder syndrome of like, Hey, I, I, every month I get this paycheck coming in every month from my sale of this business. The second one is the tax tax strategy with that. So when you do a, a, an all cash purchase or an all cash sale, you get one lump sum and a large portion of it goes to the, the IRS. That sucks. I don't want to give the IRS more money than I have to. And so that the seller. Because you're putting that whole lump sum in one year of a tax bracket. Right. It's going to raise your tax bracket. You've probably earned money at that point. So you're getting taxed at an even higher level than that. Um, and so that's one thing. If you spread it out over multiple terms, you spread that capital gains tax over those multiple terms. Uh, and so that's a huge part of it because not only are you getting paid the interest to carry that note, now you're going to be actually extrapolate more money out of the deal because you're stretching it out over the multiple tax periods. So you're not getting hit at such a high tax rate uh, and you're getting a lot of opportunity to even create, uh, you know, basically live off of that income. And then your actual earned income could be then uh, deferred at a higher level and you could earn more money that way and put it in investments and all sort of other things instead of having to, you know, be taxed at your W2 level at your new job or whatever the situation you're doing. Now, how are some of the ways that when you've got someone in a seller financing deal and you're going through those terms, um, they're, everything's closed and you're just moving through like the, the process of the rest of the term that they're in the seller financing, mm-hmm. what are the ways that you coach them through just making themselves removable from the business? How do you, yeah. what are the processes you take them through and the steps you take them through to help them actually exit in a way mm-hmm. where they are detached from the business completely. Yeah. So we're, we're, I I wouldn't say harsh, but we're very straightforward with that stuff. Um, at the end of the day, when I'm buying your business, I'm buying all of it. Uh, and which means hundred percent of control of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I ultimately do want most people to exit. Um, we've, we're, when we're closing on next week or the week after or the 20, 26, whatever that, uh, whenever that is, um, he's staying on board because he ultimately just wants to be able to sell. just doesn't want to be an owner anymore. 
Uh, so we negotiated basically commissioning him uh, to be able to operate kind of like as a 1099. Hmm. Uh, and then, uh, but I have 100% ownership, 100% control of the entire entity. Uh, so he has really no say in it. I'm just letting him operate within uh, our agency uh, as his own, as a, as a producer. Just kind of moved him to an operator rather than an owner. Yeah. And so he's able to continue, in, to continue his business until he's ready to retire. He just doesn't want to be an owner anymore. Uh, and so... Uh, we just we talk very straightforward, very clear. You know, there's ways you can do it without being a, an ass. You can do it really well and and provide a lot of dignity to people and uh, help people exit the way they want to. So, you know, again, the biggest question, first question I always ask is, what are you trying to accomplish in this sale? What do you what are you wanting to do? Are you wanting to stay on? Are you wanting to leave? Are you wanting to, you know, phase out? Like, what do you want to do? Uh, and that really allows you to kind of structure it the way they're looking for, or it tells you this is not a deal for me. I don't want to deal with all that. Uh, and so that's that helps you kind of really set up the deal on, on really good, uh, solid and common ground from the get go. Now, your area of expertise is insurance, obviously, mm -hmm. and those are the deals that you've primarily done. One thing that we talked about a little bit off air mm -hmm. is that we've both been looking heavily at service based businesses. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about why why service based businesses right now, just in general? Yeah. Uh, I, ultimately, I, I believe the, the service side of it is uh the current owners are starting to age out uh, and they have nobody to pass them on to. Most of their kids are um, working for the larger tech companies because there's just opportunity. It's, it's, you know, it's a different kind of earned uh, income. Um, and ultimately there's just nobody to pass it on to. Uh, and so that, I think that there's a lot of value on the, the service based uh, service industries, you know, that there's, there's going to, there's going to be ultimately uh, a massive opportunity for people that are willing to take on uh take on that kind of it's I mean it is it's work that's the thing it's it's and it's hard labor it's it's putting in your energy and your time and your effort more than just your brain and you know uh, your smarts like it actually requires a lot of effort uh, physical effort too and so there's uh, our our culture right now is just not in that space uh, they're really just kind of using your brains and your technology and things like that which are all really good uh, but there's there's a, a deficit i think on its way that will provide a lot of opportunity that people that are uh, in the position to capitalize on it if you were a young person right now wanting to get into something like that what are the types of businesses that you would be looking at buying uh, into yeah trades um uh, so electrical plumbing uh I mean, just any, any carpentry. I mean, any of those things. I mean, and even and carpentry is a little bit vague just because it's like, you know, there's different things like that. But trades are really, I think, the because they're they're recession proof. I mean, everybody's going to have to have plumbing, plumbing is a great example. Yeah. Like there there's always going to be need for a plumber. Yeah. I don't know how I don't care how bad of a situation is. You want your toilets to flush. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I the thing that comes to mind when I think of this is like there's probably such an opportunity to find uh, service based business owners that are aging out that have a goal of retiring in five years, maybe three to five years and giving them a deal kind of like the one that you just described in your agency where they're just becoming an operator mm -hmm. instead yeah. and getting like a structured exit plan. Yeah. So I, I the big thing about or the really nice thing about seller financing is it removes big banks and all that stuff, which most uh, most of these industries, I mean, insurance agents for one, uh, you know, just different service-based industries. They're they're mostly mom and pop shops. People that are very normal. They're not, you know, uh, used to these the like big corporate world. They really kind of, you know, you know the term of just built, you know, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and built something. Uh, and so somebody that like myself who doesn't want to go get a big bank loan and deal with all of that uh, would rather have somebody like that have the conversation of like, I think we can actually structure a deal. Uh, that's going to really provide a lot of value to you on uh, on your exit because it'll it'll be a structured exit strategy as far as your income as well as uh, the tax strategies along with that. Uh, but then also it allows you to phase out in a manner that works best for you and creates a lot of flexibility because we don't have these massive uh, corporations or entities that have oversight. Even I mean even with you know like getting a loan from a bank. They have a lot of stipulations that you have to qualify for, and they could still blow up right on the day of closing, which is super mm -hmm. frustrating. Whereas, like, if you're selling financing, your closing is going to happen because it's, I should say it, the only thing that would happen is if somebody decided to try, change the terms last minute, which mm -hmm. uh, that's a whole different issue. Yeah. <laughs> so. What are um, what are some of the biggest mindset shifts that you've had over the course of the last year? 
since we talked uh, that have contributed to successes? Yeah. So uh, I always tell our employees, and I talk about my business partner, uh, if you can uh, defer your money, it will you will have a, a immensely more in the long run. So what I tell people... Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So basically, current you doesn't need all your money. Future you needs it more than you, you need it now. Uh, so that's what we talk about is future you. That's the one that's going to really need it because you can't guarantee what future you is going to be sitting in. Uh, but you can also you could absolutely tell give future you a gift and start putting that money aside. So deferring you know money into investments or IRAs, all those different things like that, uh, but not consuming all of it right here and now. Now there's a balance because you want to live life. You don't want to you know waste time just by constantly putting money in savings. So like finding that balance there. But uh, the the tax strategies available for be able to do that and grow your grow your wealth tax free or uh, tax deferred or anything like that is such a, a high. It's it creates so much more value in your life in the long run uh, and can get you to those places a lot quicker uh, if you're just willing to live on less now. Uh, and so we had to make that decision. That was a really tough one. Uh, we when we decided to really start living in that mindset, we cut out expenses like you wouldn't believe. I tell you, I, I still to this day don't have a music subscription on my phone because wow, <laughs> just, it's a discipline of ours. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'm talking about so like, down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. yeah. We, we really went for it. We cut out, uh, we, there was uh, a long period of time, probably 18 months that we literally just we only went to a restaurant if we knew somebody else was paying for it that demanded that we go basically as a friend uh, or we went with my parents and my wife's parents just because they were like, you guys should come out and eat. <laughs> so we, yeah. like we were on, on vacation headed down to, uh, I'm starting on vacation, we're going on a wedding down to the, the Keys uh, and we literally made sandwiches and like pulled over on the side of the road and my like got our, our baby out and like fed him on the side of the road and uh and like a little gas station parking lot and we ate sandwiches right there on the road we could have stopped and gotten mcdonald's or whatever but it's like we want to we want to put all this money into our future not not right now like we don't want to spend all of it right now so um it's kind of a joke now because it's like that's that's a really extreme way of doing it but i you know i'm i'm of the mindset if i can say no enough times now I can never have to say no again. And so that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Uh, and so like, we've got our mindset on like basically 2026 and on is when life starts to get really fun. We start getting these notes paid off and cash flows wide open. We've cleared out an immense amount of debt for us. Uh, and it's, it's going to be, it's going to start getting really fun then. Uh, 2026. Yeah. Do you have a goal amount of agencies you'd like to have acquired by then? Or do you have kind of like, because it seems like obviously you're in like a ramp up period right now. Do you have kind of a goal set or do you want to just keep it moving? So I'll probably, uh, well, I'll say this, my business partner and I have agreed we'll, we'll never sell. <laughs> so uh, mainly because we just know we'll never get the value out of it that we ultimately want. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, as far as a number goes, not necessarily a number of acquisitions. Uh, the, the next goal we're hitting is 10 million in premium. Uh, that ultimately uh, uh, equates to about, uh, half a million in, in revenue into our agency, which is what really matters to me. I don't really care about the, the premium amounts because that's arbitrary numbers that just don't matter to us. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there on out, we'll probably set some more goals of 20, 50 or whatever. Um, I would love to get to a $50 million agency at some point because um, that's uh, a significant amount of cash flow. Into it our, is. <laughs> um, so that's uh, ultimately what we'd like to get to. But that won't be the only thing we're Vesting in at that point, we'll be very much starting to spread our uh, our assets into other industries and different things like that too. So. I want to talk a little bit about growing pains because mm -hmm. obviously you've had an extreme amount of growth in a very small amount of time, mm -hmm. and it seems like that growth gets quicker and more expansive as you go. Mm -hmm. What are the biggest growing pains that you've had? So personnel, that's the first and foremost. Uh, being able to re retain your quality while growing at a, a massive rate. Um, Sounds like a really tough challenge. It, it's incredibly hard because I have a level of service I demand that I, I myself deliver and my employees deliver. Um, so that's one thing. Um, it's also expensive to get really good help. So that's uh, we we pay our employees very well. I have a a uh, sales producer that makes, uh, I basically don't make any money off until year two. Uh, we give up everything up front uh, 
basically massively buying into their success in the beginning so that they because because they're uh, primarily commission based we want them making money quickly uh, and getting getting to a point of comfort as quickly as they possibly can um, and then we'll start to actually uh, adjust their upfront commission to start providing them long-term commission but coaching them to actually put some of their uh, renewal commission into you know vestments and stuff like that so that they can actually create uh, some wealth in the long run again educating them on what I'm doing by living that example and then and uh, passing that on to them to do the same thing. Uh, Could we double click for a second on that structure that sure. I'm, I'm not familiar with that commission structure you just <laughs> described. That's, that sounds pretty unique. Yeah. So the way we do it is, uh, so our business, basically we get new business commission. So as a client comes on board uh, like on an organic growth side of it, and this is non-acquisition side, this is just building that out. We give them, you know, they get basically a, a percentage of that commission uh, split with my agency and them. That's the industry standard. It's like the, you know, split at 50-50 or whatever the situation is. Um, my business partner and I just came with this idea of like, why don't we get really competitive in this space? We know we're going to get the renewals in the long run if we set if we create good business opportunities for our clients. So why not give the give uh, our new sales agents 100% up front? Wow. Okay. Uh, so we basically make zero money off of them until year two. Um, and so that structure has actually been really good because now that, that sales agent isn't worried about paying their bills. They're now worried about doing a really good job because they want to keep clients that stick around mm. because we get them paid quicker, get them uh, made more money and quicker so that by the time they've hit kind of like a, a, level, a, a lifestyle of comfort that they have where they're making enough money, uh, that they're comfortable to live, we can then start rolling off some of the new business and rolling into some of the renewals. Because who cares if you have renewals if you're in your first year? Because it's not going to actually <laughs> hit you until next year. So it's like there's no point in giving them something they haven't even earned yet. They got to wait, you know, a couple of years to actually for it to make sense. Um, so we provide that in the front uh, front side is just giving them everything we've got. Now you have to have the cash flow to be able to do that. Again, that's why it's expensive for us because again we don't make any money till year two. But if we're in the acquisition model that allows me to do that because they're generating new business. I'm bringing in renewals, cash flowing it, creating uh, basically just margin at that point to be able to pay for that and to be able to pay the notes and whatnot. Wow. That is unique. Mm -hmm. And they're probably not going to be able to find that model anywhere else. Oh, I, I know nobody's doing that. Wow. So, huh. <laughs> yeah. This is a unique model you've got going on. It's, it's working. It's a work in progress. We're, we're really, you know, it, the biggest thing is just trying to, uh, help people see it because it's in the insurance industry everybody wants renewals which i get that's i mean i'm in that i'm in that business that's what i want i want the renewals but somebody's got to sell policies at some mm -hmm. point at the end of the day and for me like i'd rather give somebody everything they can make up front because it, it's just going to provide the value for them up up front which is the hardest part the hardest years are your first two or three years so if you're making more you know du essentially double the money of everybody else in your industry you're going to be a lot more happy to stick and willing to stick around, especially when that's going to start rolling off the front end and we start actually vesting some of that because we're set up 401k and profit sharing and all that stuff. But they're paying for it up front because they're they're going to get those renewals in the long run. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, they're they're making more money quicker, so they have you know a, a lot better quality of life in a shorter term than taking two or three years to actually like get to that same space. And once they hit the two years, all the renewals that have stacked up have kind of created that security blanket for them. Exactly. I want to shift gears here a little bit and just talk about kind of business as a whole. Mm -hmm. Do you have any controversial views on business? Um, hmm, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. I think, uh, I mean, I'm... I, I heard, I think it was Alex Ramosi said the poorest he ever felt was when he sold his business because he lost all that cash flow. And so for me, that's why I'm like, I want to, I want ways to create cash flow. So I'm not looking for a big selling, pay, selling paycheck. The other thing is if I ever do sell, I'm going to sell or finance it because I want that cash to come in for as long as it possibly can. And I want to pay the least amount of taxes on it. Um, I don't care for the big fat check because it's, it's not as big as it looks. Yeah. <laughs> so. Especially once uncle Sam sees it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uncle Sam wants his piece and he wants a big piece. So yeah. What are the biggest things that you're looking forward to in the rest of 2023? Man. Um, you know, one of the, I'm really excited for just kind of these next few steps. We've, uh, we're really trying to, to expand in other States right now. Uh, so I'm starting to kind of learn some of the different markets there. 
Um, and now we've done a lot of small acquisitions and now I'm kind of getting my feet wet into larger ones and ones that will create a, uh, kind of just like double and triple down on the, the, uh, cash flow side for us. Um, you know, if we could double or triple our agency size with one or like within a single acquisition, that would be kind of like the, that's, that's where I'm kind of headed now at this point, nice. um, mainly because it's just like. I also want to be challenged and I can, I can kind of do these smaller ones with my eyes closed now. Cause I've, I've done so many and they're, they're easy and it's fun. And like, it, it's just like, I want to kind of start to stretch myself and get into this bigger, uh, just opportunity. So I'd rather do like some larger ones and see what we can find. So. What does a day in the life look like for you right now? The average day? Yeah. So it's, it's actually kind of funny. My, my office manager says it's somewhat of a whirlwind from when I get to the office to when I leave and then things finally calm down on either side. <laughs> <of that. laughs> um, so I, again, I have two kids at home. Uh, and so about, you know, we get up and, uh, they get up about between six and seven. So we're up taking care of them. Uh, I leave my house at like eight thirty, roughly. And then I get to the office, uh, I've got uh, about an hour or so before things start to get kind of, you know, calls start coming in and all that. So I take catch up on emails. I kind of just prep for the day. And then we go through our, uh, I have a bunch of calls scheduled throughout the day, do a bunch of uh, what we call reshops, people dealing with their policies and insurance rates going up or wanting to switch policies or those sort of things, uh, talking to potentially uh, other you know, sellers or something like that. Uh, and then I head home at between five and six and by the time I get home at six o'clock we're hanging out with the kids and doing dinner and then bedtime and hang out with my wife for a little while and then go to bed and start all over again <laughs> so I love it yeah and you found more and more ways to kind of shift into that like relaxation mode how what works for you in that because I find myself in a similar position I I love what I do I struggle to turn it off sometimes how do you turn it off effectively and really like engage that that family time that you know that you want but even though it can be hard yeah um my phone lives on do not disturb uh like i've my office line is an app on my phone so like uh after a certain time it like i just it it doesn't the calls don't come through texts don't come through anything like that and even on my personal side there's only a handful of people that can get through to me regularly it's it's most of the time it's on do not disturb Um, so that's a big thing like i know like phones can just be highly addictive and all that stuff. And so I want to be able to control who can kind of gain my attention without me knowing about it or without me requesting it. Uh, that's a big thing. I also like, uh, when we're out with the kids or out doing stuff, like I, I generally either, uh, my phone either just stays in my pocket or I ask my wife to just put it in her purse. So I don't even have to like, even, I don't even want to feel it buzz or anything. Like I just, I'll, and uh, being okay with not always being able to respond to people, not always being able to call people back, uh, that's a, uh, a big thing as far as my personal side, my business side is the, you know, every voicemail is returned within 24 hours. Every text is responded to in 24 hours, uh, or we answer the phone when they're, when they're calling it. But on the personal side, man, uh, it is okay that for that phone to, to not be touched. <laughs> so. That within 24 hours rule is great too, yeah. because if you start breaking that down, I mean, sometimes you feel like it has to be within 24 minutes, but yeah. within 24 hours, I mean, there's, there's few emergencies that happen, especially in business, mm-hmm. that cannot be resolved in you know over 24 hours. Yeah, you know we have we have situations that come up, and because like I, the way I structure my day, I can't I can't put out every fire at, at the moment it becomes a fire. Um, and so what we we just have this rule of like, uh, or just this principle we operate of like just communicate with people, saying hey I'm swamped at the moment I'm going to address this. Uh, I want to address this, but I want to address it the way I would prefer to and the way I think it would be best for you. So give me until this time to actually do that. Uh, so that's a really great way of communicating with people really well, setting their expectations of like, hey, I've seen this. I'm not ignoring you. I want to take the time to actually respond the way I need to uh, and the way I think that's going to actually resolve this situation or whatever whatever the situation actually is. Uh, and that provides a, a, a lot of quality for people that they don't generally get in, in our industry at least. Um, it just gives them like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. I just want to be able to actually really think about it and provide the quality of response that you need. You just reminded me of something. Um, the way we reconnected recently, I was doing, I told you I was doing some market research and I just realized I went through this exact process (laughs) with you. I had asked you just a little question about some market research I was doing across like different business owners. And you told me, Hey, 
It's a great question. I want to give you a thoughtful response. <laughs> Let me get back to you in a couple of days. Why don't you follow up? And then you did. You gave me a very, very thoughtful response. Oh, and, it, and I had other people that texted me back right away and also great answers, but they gave me like a, a quick, like two or three word response or three sentence response. And it was also valuable, but you were like, Hey, I want to give you a great answer. Let me give you a great answer in two or three days when I'm a little bit less busy. And then you did. And awesome. I, and it was very valuable information because that's, of that. I think that's a good process. Yeah, that's so funny. I actually forgot completely about that. Yeah. Like, I'm, that's that's why we do it. It, it really it does it matters, and uh, uh, I'm glad to to know that it's been uh, received that way as as I think it does. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's like textbook. <laughs> yeah. your process right there. I yeah. love it. Yeah, it's great. So it's uh, it's just something that I, I I firmly believe in. If you just take the time to communicate with people. You don't have to answer every question right as it's asked. You can give them, hey, I really, I genuinely want to take the time to answer this the way I think I should and give it the time and energy that I think you're owed. So let me, give me the time to do that. And people ultimately, I think, majority of people that appreciate that. So. Yeah, I think that goes for business and personal. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's an awesome note. Yeah. I want to go back to, um, the workaholism that you overcame that we kind of addressed in the last podcast. Where are you at in that journey now? Man, uh, I I really have a, a solid grip on it. I It's so funny. I, I used to uh, never be able to really relax on like the weekends or anything like that. And I, I genuinely love it now. It's like, uh, I don't look forward to the weekends, but I also uh, don't like I'm not distracted. I'm fully present with my kids and my wife uh, on the weekends and after work and all that stuff. Like I got invited to go to a, a, a dinner the other night uh, or for I actually think it's tomorrow night or something. And I just said like, Hey, I've got, I have limited time with my wife and kids. And so I want to, uh, during the week. So I really want to like take that opportunity and make it count. So I appreciate the invite, but ultimately like I'm really enjoying being with them. And so, um, and then there's other times where like we get an invite to go to dinner. And so I just reach out to my wife, Hey, this is a, something I'd like to do. Um, do we have anything on our calendar that's going to prevent us from happening? And so she'll, we'll talk about it and we'll get it set up. And so that's a, a big thing. Just having that respect of like, Hey, I don't have anything on my calendar. I'm sure you may or may not. I don't know, but I would ultimately, this is something I would like to do. Uh, and, uh, she's like, absolutely. Yeah, we'll figure it out. And so that's, that's something I, I, uh, I've learned is I've given her a lot of, uh, energy and time uh, and effort into making things important, uh, doing things that are important to her. And she does the same for me in, in, in return. And it's, it's, it's really kind of uh, just our, our relationship has really blossomed into something special. Pays dividends. Yeah, it really does. What is the, the mantra that you were telling yourself before you got the grip on it that has been eliminated since? Uh, <laughs> work more <laughs> <laughs> what was what was like the fear behind shutting it off or like the the thought in your head that kept you from being able to find that relaxation do you think so um i had i think ultimately i just had a fear of uh of enough never being enough um to whereas now um it's if i stick to this plan i will have more than plenty and, uh, and if I never have more than plenty, I will still have plenty. And that's, uh, ultimately where we're, where we're headed is like plenty for me as, uh, we're able to cover our basis. My wife and kids love me. I love my wife and kids. Uh, my kids are able to, to go and pursue their life dreams, whatever that looks like. If I, if I have more than plenty, we can help elevate that. If we have plenty, they can still go do those things, uh, whatever their struggles that they're going to have to go through, but we can be present for those and be able to be a support system for them. Sounds like your definition of success has just changed. Yeah, so, uh, significantly. I mean, we, for me, success is, is more so it's not even happiness. It's genuine. It's genuinely like being in a position uh, of being not so much comfortable, but content. Love that. Yeah. Success is contentment. Mm -hmm. Now, You've talked obviously a lot about like the family side of things and the fulfillment and happiness you've been able to find in that. What makes you happy and what makes you fulfilled in the business side? Like what are the things that bring you that kind of like daily or weekly happiness and fulfillment in like when you're in the business and you're growing that? Yeah. So I, I love seeing my employees win. 
when they're working. I, I love seeing them work hard and then overcoming. I also love seeing them work hard, be be down on themselves, and then figure out a way to overcome. That's a great thing to, to experience. I'm also learning how to employ people really well. And so one of my biggest focuses uh, as I started hiring people this last year was uh, and I would, t- I would tell them this because they would, you know, great employees that interview well, they always ask, what are your goals for your business? And so I always tell them, my goal is to figure out how to be the best damn employer I can be. Uh, and so I'm going to do everything I can. And so I have the mindset of like, I ultimately work for my employees. Like I'm going to do everything I can to serve them and provide them with the opportunity to be as successful as they possibly can. Because if they're willing to do that, I know I'm going to receive dividends of that in the long run. Um, so that's a huge win for us uh, when we're able to really help our employees out uh and gain just a better life for themselves. That's always a, a, a fun thing. Also the thing is that I love closing day on acquisitions. Those yeah. are fun. <laughs> That's gotta be uh, very exciting. Yeah, it's it's exciting just to see those numbers just like jump overnight. Uh, and so that's mm-hmm. that's always fun. And then payday is obviously a super fun day too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you work up to this big goal and then it's just boom. Yeah. It happened. All, all of it's hypothetical until it hits a bank account. And that's like, uh, it's, it's, it's so funny. It's like, uh, no, we always talk about like, Closing day could absolutely be destroyed the day before or the minute before uh, until we've signed every document and everything's been transferred. It's it's not closed. And so it's like I never get too excited until I'm like, yep, everything's been transferred. Let's go. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, exactly the process I was going through with, yeah. with the acquisition I went through this year is mm-hmm. like even like the hours leading up when like things weren't. I was like I was the guy that was like, guys, nothing's signed yet. Yep. No, there is not a single I don't see a single signature on a paper. Yep. I don't know what you guys are getting excited about. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just get it to the finish line and then like that, the feeling of actually getting it to the finish line. It's a cool thing. Yeah. And that's like a, it's a really cool uh, thing to experience when you're like that cautious and you're like, all right, is this going to happen? And then it does. It's a really hard thing to go through when you're like, is this going to happen? And it doesn't, which we've had that situation too. Uh, We had, we got, we had verbal agreements on everything. We're just waiting for the system to process all of it. And the the seller backed out and Mm -hmm. took another offer. It really sucked for me just because like I was I'd gotten so emotionally vested and I was like, all right, I can't I can't allow that to happen because it really clouded my judgment on a lot of things. Um, but so we had this other offer we were trying one we were trying to acquire that we uh, ultimately didn't get, which I, I, I was bummed about. But ultimately, like I was really settled in it because I I'd, I'd managed my emotions through it. But one of the things that I start uh, started doing over the last several months is just. Uh, it's kind of, I would say if it's a mantra of anything, it's just uh, protect, like just protect myself from my own ambition. So like allowing myself to grow, but then also being okay with uh, my my own ambition may be my own enemy too. And so just trusting that, you know, how things work out is ultimately for the best. Could you go over that one more time? I like that concept a lot. I want to kind of like zone yeah. in on that. Your, yeah. your own ambition is your, can be your enemy. Yeah. So, you know, us as entrepreneurs, uh, we naturally just have a lot of ambition that ambition is really great it could also be the one thing that can hurt you and so uh, so like it's kind of like a prayer I say it was just like you know God protect me from my own ambition and then the other part of that is give me the emotional stamina to be able to continue pressing forward when a door gets shut uh, and so that's like being able to sustain and and continue moving forward and not lose momentum when something that I was hoping would be good for us ends up being a a door shut and we have to continue on without it. Um, And so that's something that's really uh, been an encouragement for me because it doesn't allow me to get so focused on the loss. It's like, all right, this is, this is for a reason. I don't know what that reason's for, but we'll continue to move forward. uh, And I just need to, uh, what can I learn from this process? And so it's ultimately, I just think it's, uh, being protected from my own ambition. Again, ambition's a great thing, but you have to understand that not every never not every good opportunity is a good opportunity. So I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Any closing thoughts that you have? Uh all of this business stuff is fun. It really is. It's it's a great time. You can do a lot of things that leverage your life, but at the end of the day, like family, friends, your life outside of work is really what ultimately matters. Um I, I preach that to our guys, our friends, our like I, I, anybody that I talk to. It's just like, look, all of this stuff can be taken away in a you know a split second. If you're in an industry that's heavily governed by either your corporate office or uh, legislation or any of that stuff can be taken away so fast outside of your control. Uh, but what doesn't can't get taken away, uh, or even can, is your family and stuff like that. Uh, and so being able to uh, you know work all this, you know, we we spend so much time building this thing uh, and. 
uh, to create the life we want to live, but we never actually go and live the life we wanted to that we tried to create because we're stuck with these golden handcuffs in this business. And so, um, ultimately like give you, you know, retain the key from the golden handcuffs sometimes and, and let yourself lose and have some fun too. And so, um, we, we're, my wife and I are very big on that. Just like, you know, at the end of the day, let's put, let's, let's be done with work. Let's go hang out with friends, family, have a great time. Uh, and then when Monday morning comes, get right back in it, saddle up and let's go. So. I love it. If you could write yourself the one self-help book that you needed as a young Zach, like a really young Zach, what's the title of that self-help book? Uh, tax planning, uh, <laughs> consistent effort. So one of the things I talk, I, one of the things I did poorly in the beginning was, uh, I would overdo for too long. And so I would just, uh, and so I couldn't pace well. Uh, and so figuring out how to, I, I, what I think about now and how I, the viewpoint I have on things now is, is this something that I can do, uh, for the next 30 years without it really affecting me negatively, uh, without it, you know, affecting my relationships, without my, my, my energy, my, my, my enjoyment. I mean, uh, all of those things. So if, if I can do this for the next 30 years, I think that's, that's a good aspect to rope into this life. And if I don't think I can, you know, again, is this a short term, like having the expectation of what this is going to look like. Uh, and so, um, you know, that's, you know, finding things that you can be super consistent in. So moderation and sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Zach, how can people find you? Uh, so I'm, I am on social media. I'm not on there a ton, but, uh, uh Facebook, uh, between the hours of nine and five, right, right. <laughs> nine and six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, uh, at Zach Holman, uh, Z A C H O E V E L M A N, uh, on Instagram. Uh, and then I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, and then we're on Park Avenue. Our office is there. So if you want to stop by and say hello, we're right above Panulo's. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And congrats again on the new office location. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you again for being on. It's hey, been thanks awesome. for having me. It's been, a, it's been a real treat. I always enjoy talking with you. Likewise. Yeah. That's a podcast. Awesome. Mm-hmm.